Friends, welcome back to the broadcast. I am your host, James Corbett of CorbettReport.com, and you are listening to Corbett Report Radio here on Republic Broadcasting on this Tuesday, Tuesday night edition of the broadcast, Tuesday, July 10th, 2012, there in the United States. And if I'm a bit confused on the dates, that's because if you were paying attention yesterday, you would have noticed that RBN was offline for a number of hours, including during the Corbett Report Radio time slot. So there was no broadcast yesterday for anyone out there who uh, was tuned in and looking for that. That's why there was no broadcast and why I was not on the air yesterday. And uh, I did tweet that out at twitter.com slash Corbett Report. So once again, if there are any updates or anything that's going on, it will be uh, the latest updates will be there. So always look there if you're uh, wondering where I might be. And on that note, of course, we are back for another week of broadcasts here on Corbett Report Radio. So I'd like to remind everyone that my website is CorbettReport.com and that these radio programs are also being made available as video broadcasts after each episode airs a few hours later, after the video gets rendered and everything. It will be available there as a vodcast, so you can go and uh, download that or you can watch it on blip.tv, whatever's easiest for you. Or, of course, you can also get the audio. So I'm trying to make this uh, radio show available in as many formats as possible for your convenience. And tonight we're going to switch to matters economical, because unfortunately the economic collapse that we've been facing for so many years is uh, continuing to to unfold in dramatic ways, we'll say. And some of the most dramatic ways still continue to revolve around the collapse of the European Union and the uh, European Economic Zone. But uh, one of the latest scandals, of course, around the LIBOR, the LIBOR, the London Interbank Offered Rate, uh, an incredible scandal that one of the incredible aspects of this, as I wrote in my most recent subscriber newsletter, was that this is coming out in the mainstream media at all and uh, was being called for what it is to a large extent, which is uh, basically, and well, I mean, let's not beat around the bush, uh, and, and financial rape of unprecedented proportions. I mean, this has been called the largest scandal, financial accounting scandal in, in history. Uh, not accounting scandal, but uh, rate manipulation scandal. But the largest financial scandal in the history of the world, and, and that's not said lightly. I mean, what we're talking about with this uh, London Interbank Offered Rate in case you don't know, I mean, this is a, a, a benchmark rate that so many different uh, loans and uh, commercial uh, derivatives and other assets are, are valued on. Uh, the rates are pegged to this LIBOR rate. That, that slight differences in, in the rate can mean huge knock-on effects on the economy. And uh, there are different w- estimates to how much of the economy is actually based on this LIBOR but uh, upwards of $800 trillion worth of, uh, of paper and, and uh, derivatives and instruments has been estimated uh, being in one way or another connected to these rates. So tiny, tiny, tiny manipulations of this number can have huge, huge, huge knock-on effects in the economy. So it's a pretty huge scandal, and uh, it's one that's worth our time and effort to wrap our minds around especially because uh, the way that this entire scandal played out goes to show that it could not possibly have been one bad apple, as they always like to try to trot out, oh, it was just one bad apple spoiling the barrel. No, in this case, it could not possibly have been that way. It had to have been a large, coordinated effort. It's starting to come out in testimony. 
And unfortunately, uh, I'm not exactly holding out hope that there's going to be any uh, mass roundups and arrests and, uh, you know, the breakthrough that we're looking for on the banking front uh, in terms of this scandal. But at any rate, it's another way for people to wake up and realize what's going on. Well, tonight we're going to have a guest, David Smith, uh, a.k.a. the Geneva Business Insider on the line. We're trying to get him on the line right now. So hopefully we'll have him by the time we get back from this commercial break. Until then, sit right there. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. To the Republic. Security will prevail as sure as I am the president. President Jimmy Carter. Broadcast friends, welcome back to Corbett Report Radio. Once again, I'm your host, James Corbett of CorbettReport.com. I'm coming to you tonight, as every night, from my sunny and wonderful uh, palatial broadcasting studio here in my living room in in Western Japan, and uh, probably talking to you wherever you are, maybe in the United States or in North America generally, and talking now to our guest who is all the way over in Switzerland. Uh, where it is currently four in the morning, so uh, so everyone, let's let's be quiet. Uh, he's just waking up. We're talking tonight to David Smith, who is uh, the Geneva Business Insider at GenevaBusinessInsider.blogspot.com. I will direct you there for his insightful commentary and analysis on economic issues, especially what's happening in the eurozone, as he's right there uh, in the midst of uh, things. Uh, obviously, slightly outside of it in in Switzerland, but still. Uh, very, very much a spectator there and seeing what's going on as the Eurozone continues to collapse. So let's bring him up for tonight. David Smith, thank you so much for coming on tonight. It's great to have you here. It's a pleasure to be here, and effectively at 4 o'clock in the morning I am slowly waking up, but I'm looking forward to participating as much as I can in your broadcast and Excellent. having a lot of fun in the next hour. I hope so. Well, we'll, uh, we'll, tr- we'll be easy on you, don't worry. Well, uh, <laughs> Thank you. This is your first time on the broadcast, the first time we've uh, talked about your website, so perhaps we can just start by introducing yourself and you can tell people a little little bit about the website. Very good, okay. Well, my name is David Smith. I'm originally a British citizen. I've lived in Switzerland for a number of years, 20 years, more than 20 years, in fact, and now also Swiss National. My background is I'm a lawyer, I'm an accountant, chartered accountant, I've worked in a number of banks over the years and in a number of multinational organizations. I've been based in Switzerland for a long part of that time, and uh, about a couple of years ago I struck off on my own, and I've set up my own consulting company in the financial arena, and uh, incidentally, uh, also having set up the Geneva Business Insider website, because I really wanted to share some of the ideas and some of the perceptions I have based out of Geneva, which is, uh, as you say, something of an island in the middle of Europe, but it also gives the great opportunity to be able to look from the outside um, in on on other people and frequently have some very interesting perceptions. I can imagine so, yes. I have only been to Switzerland once. It's a beautiful country, but uh, it must be a very interesting place to be watching what's happening in the Euro, which, of course, I want to talk about uh, in the in the course of this broadcast. But just before the break, we were talking about LIBOR, and, of course, that unfolding scandal. And, of course, you've been covering that at Geneva Business Insider as well with uh, the emphasis on LIE, L-I-E, LIBOR. 
so, so let's start talking about this scandal. It's uh, still relatively fresh. I'm sure there are a lot of people out there who still don't quite understand what this is all about. Let's let's start breaking it down for people. What what is the uh, LIBOR and why is this important? Very good. Well, LIBOR is more or less the the basic building block of the financial world. That is uh, the price. It is basically the price of money, and all of the banks between themselves have to fix a rate on a daily basis as to how much money should cost. And based on that, the banks take a margin and make their living in a normal, honest, and correct world. However, what, what has happened, where the E has been added recently, is uh, these figures have been distorted. Basically, in, in London, every day, about 16 banks get together and they exchange the rates on which they would lend money to each other. And at the top of the scale, there are those which are, let's say, a bank which is perceived to be a higher risk than another one uh, or another one which is much less risky. And they catalogue a list of, of rates, and these rates are then fed in, I believe, to uh, Reuters who basically assimilate this information. And uh, after that, the highest and lowest rates are eliminated, and an average of, of, of the mid-rates are taken. And that is the late the rate which is applied for LIBOR. Now, the idea of this is to to create a level playing field where everyone says this is the average cost of money in the London market. This is done for a very large number of currencies. You know, it can be the dollar, the euro, um, <clears throat> the Singapore dollar, sterling, etc., etc. And these rates are fixed for for the day and apply for that day. From this base, everything else is driven. People then take margins on on the LIBOR, uh, depending on who it is and what the risk that is perceived by the banks. So that is a, a very brief summary of what LIBOR is all about. Absolutely. And as I understand it, LIBOR uh, applies to a number of different currencies in a number of different maturities, and there are a different number of banks that feed into those rates uh, depending on what currency it's it's being dealt in. So uh, a question that I don't quite understand is what currency does this particular scandal apply to, this rate manipulation, or is it all of them? Well, in fact, it applies to all of them. It, it is uh, the, the spectrum of rates, because it, the, the core of it is, it, it is uh, in, in every currency will have, have a different rate, uh, and uh, every bank will have a different level of risk attached to it. And uh, as I say, those are the building blocks of, of the, the situation. So it is every every major currency in the world which banks are trading in, basically. Right. Okay. So, uh, so for example, here on trusty Wikipedia, a U.S. dollar, euro, Japanese yen, Swiss franc, Canadian dollar, Australian dollar, Danish krone, Swedish krona, New Zealand dollar. So basically, yes. yes I mean, all of the major currencies are there, yeah. and uh, and so. The scandal here is that we've had this uh, this attempt to uh, admitted attempt to manipulate the rates and, and obviously successful. Um, we, I don't I don't know if we've hammered down how long this has been going down or exactly who was involved. But as you point out, the way that this rate is arrived at is done by taking out the bottom and the top quartile 
of the uh, those banks that are in that pool. So in a 16-bank pool, that's uh, the top and bottom four. The middle eight are the only ones that are averaged into the rate, which yeah. by its very definition means that at the very least, nine banks would have to be involved in a concerted, coordinated effort to actually yeah. affect any manipulation of that rate. And presumably, it was more than just the nine out of 16. So, so let's talk about the depth of this scandal and what it really indicates about the system itself. Yeah, just to make a point there, um, the banks, all of the banks are involved. On one particular day, different banks will fall out depending on, on the currency. It might it might be Japanese bank who is based in London that has a rate which is particularly high. Uh, it might be an American bank. It might be the famous Barclays, which is in the center of problems, which is, has rates which differ either higher or lower than the other. But over a period of time, all of these banks are involved, and in this environment, all these banks are looking over each other's shoulders, and uh, they can question in the market what is the rate that is being applied. Right, and as I understand it, what's come out from the Bob Diamond testimony is that Barclays, of course, has now admitted to their part in this manipulation, but they have, uh, have been saying that, well, we were involved in it, but other banks were too, and we were trying to blow the whistle on them. So, uh, so has it been determined... Who are some of the other players in this? I mean, in terms of actually nailing down some of the names, or, or has that not quite come out in the testimony yet? Well, I think it's, it's coming out progressively. I, I, I think this is something which um, the entire financial world will be involved in. There's no question at all that the Bank of England has an oversight and a view of this uh, situation on a daily basis in the UK. Equally, there is no doubt that the, the, the Federal Reserve in America uh, is looking at what the London uh, fixed rates are on a daily basis. I mean, th this this is the basic building block of saying this is the cost of money on a particular day established by a large number of banks. Sometimes it's the same banks. Uh, most frequently it's a different grouping of banks every time. So it should actually produce the ideal answer. However, what has been happening is that banks, for different reasons, have had varying rates, and they've decided to manipulate them um, for their own reasons. Now, in reality, if you're on the in, inside of a bank, uh, let's say you take the case of a Bob Diamond, he has been declaring, let's say, that the, the interest rate should be uh, 1% is the, the information he's been feeding into the system. However, when he actually has to go and borrow from another bank, uh, he may actually be paying two. So as soon as he looks at his P&L account for the day, he's going to be able to say the cost of money was twice as high as the rate that he was providing. And these rates are freely available. In fact, even if you look on uh, the British Bankers Association uh, website, which is the, the body which actually finally publishes these rates, there's a direct link on the front page of the website which kicks up right away the rates that have been fixed on that day in all the currencies plus all the historical rates in the world. That's right. Well, so so exactly right. You bring up an important point of this is that the Bank of England and, and other central banks had to also have been involved or at least aware of this. And, and one of the things that have come out so far in the Bob Diamond uh, testimony is that there was a, a memo in the, from a few years ago when uh, Bob Diamond had a phone call from uh, someone at the uh, high up at the Bank of England who was basically pressuring uh, Barclays to lower their rate uh, because they wanted to give out the signal of, of stability d during the height of the crisis in October 2008. Um, the, the, basically, Bob Diamond has since denied that he felt that that was pressure from the Bank of England, and, and there's been some 
you know, back and forth on that. But uh, but interestingly enough, UK Chancellor George Osborne came out to say that there's absolutely no doubt that uh, that basically the Brown's uh, cronies at the time, Gordon Brown's cronies, were involved in this and knew about it. So uh, so this is going pretty deep into the political system as well. Yes, absolutely. I mean, it, it's interesting. The the person who was interviewed recently was Paul Tucker, who is the deputy governor of the Bank of England, which is a very very powerful position. Uh, it is obvious that once again he is following. He, he is responsible for financial stability. So obviously he will be following these things on on a daily basis with with any fluctuations. Now, if you go back to the period of the extreme crisis in 2008, uh, you then have a situation where uh, banks were not even lending to each other. Exactly right. Some, some mass destabilization, and of course they wanted to give that impression that things were okay, so they wanted oh, the rates well, as low as exactly. possible. All right, well, let's take a short breather. We'll be back after this short break with David Smith, the Geneva Business Insider. Back to the program, friends. Welcome back to Corbett Report Radio. I'm your host, James Corbett of CorbettReport.com. And at the top of tonight's broadcast, I was talking about the new vodcast feature of this radio broadcast, where I'm making these radio broadcasts available as a video podcast that you can download from CorbettReport.com after the show airs. But uh, I'm afraid that because of a technical glitch tonight, uh, my video isn't recording properly for some reason that I can't quite figure out right now. Looks like there's not going to be a video of this particular broadcast, so my apologies to all of you out there for getting your hopes up. Of course, there have been uh, video podcasts of the uh, the past week or uh, week and a half of, of broadcasts here, so you can go in the archives for those, but uh, unfortunately, no video for tonight. I'm going to have to figure that out. In the meantime, we are talking to our guest, David L. Smith of the Geneva Business Insider. Once again, that's genevabusinessinsider.blogspot.com. And uh, we are talking about LIBOR, this incredible uh, f- financial manipulation that's been going on for years, uh, presumably, uh, decades, perhaps. I mean, how far back does this go? How deep does this go? And uh, what are going to be the ultimate ramifications of this? So uh, so my understanding of this, uh, Mr. Smith, is that this we are really only at the beginning of understanding really how deep this goes and what the uh, the ultimate implications are. But as I said at the top of the broadcast, some people estimate as much as $800 trillion worth of derivatives and instruments are based off of LIBOR, ultimately, one way or another. So I think the, uh, the ripple effects are going to be uh, pretty, pretty huge from this scandal. What, what do you expect to come of this in the short term, in the next few weeks? Well, I think what is going to happen is people are going to understand progressively, as you say, what's been going on. This, this uh, LIBOR fixing, uh, with the operative word being fixing, has certainly been going on for a long time. I can understand, for example, back in 2008 when there was a major crisis where banks, in fact, were not lending to each other, that uh, they didn't want to publicize too openly that that was, a, was the case. Uh, but the, the direct, not even the indirect effect, the, the direct effect of manipulating the rates is it makes money more or less expensive for borrowers, and it makes it more or less lucrative for lenders. So if you have a situation where uh, what is happening is that the, the LIBOR rates have been agreed to be lower than they should be, then this is 
this is favoring the borrowers and uh, to, the, to the detriment of the lenders. So the lenders are whom? They are people like insurance companies, you know, savers, those strange lost, lost forgotten people worldwide, uh, pension plans, etc., etc., who are providing the money. On the other side, you have the borrowers. Now, if you happen to have a mortgage priced in LIBOR, which is a relatively common occurrence uh, in many countries in Europe, this is uh, an interesting uh, an advantage. But, uh, you know, the, the, the borrowing of the, the, the money in LIBOR uh, pro- provides you with uh, cheap, cheap financing. But it, it is a penalty on, on the other side to the people who should be earning the correct amount of money. So if you are understating LIBOR by a significant amount, then all the, all the people who should be cashing the money, the people who are now living off their capital instead of living off their income, are being penalized. On the other hand, you have to look at who the borrowers are. Now, some of the biggest borrowers in the world are the banks. These banks are using um, this uh, very fixed, uh, cheap, low interest rate to um, as, as the start point for their cost of money. So anyone who's a borrower uh, is, is obviously going to be much, much better off. So this has been pumping profitability into, into banks. It, it is allowing them to have derivatives positions uh, which are, are very cheap instead of being expensive. And if the rate actually went significantly higher, then an awful lot of the, these 800 trillion of uh, derivatives positions, uh, the figures vary enormously depending on the source, but uh, we're talking of, hun- of hundreds of trillions at a minimum, then, you know, that is, that is a, a ticking time bomb which they have deliberately defused by maintaining the, the low rates. Now, again, if you compare the situation, we're talking about LIBOR in, in the London uh, environment where it is fixed, but obviously um, everybody in the international financial world is, is looking at the rates that are fixed by the, in, in the UK uh, for all the currencies. The, the Federal Reserve and the American banks are equally interested in this situation because uh, why should they misalign themselves and be much more, more expensive? The answer is they align themselves to what favors them most. So that is, that is a real problem. It is basically uh, a global um, redistribution of wealth between uh, lenders and borrowers in, in, in the favor of the borrowers, of whom the banks uh, and similar institutions are very often the biggest beneficiaries. Exactly right. And as you indicate, I mean, sometimes the rates were being manipulated down, sometimes up, and uh, and it was a mixture of that. So uh, so maybe it balances out in the end. But of course, it does really de- affect. It has huge knock-on effects on the economy. So I think we're only, as I say, beginning to understand really how much of this was uh, was really affected and, and what, what the ultimate fallout of this is going to be. So we'll come back with that, and then we'll be switching into talk about the Eurozone and the ongoing Eurozone crisis once again, talking to David L. Smith of GenevaBusinessInsider.blogspot.com. If you'd like to get in on tonight's conversation and ask Mr. Smith a question, 1-800-313-9443. That's 1-800-313-9443. Or you can tweet your questions or and comments to at Corbett Report. And on that note, we'll take a short break, but we'll be right back here on Corbett Report Radio.
You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. Okay, friends, we're back here on Corbett Report Radio tonight. We are talking to David L. Smith of the Geneva Business Insider at genevabusinessinsider.blogspot.com. And so far we've been talking about LIBOR, the LIBOR scandal, and what's coming out of that. So just wrapping up that part of the conversation before we move on to the Euro crisis, uh, Mr. Smith, let's let's talk about consequences and uh, what's going to come of this, because it does strike me that we are dealing with, potentially, I, I think it's not uh, going out on a limb to say, really, the largest uh, financial manipulation in, in, in the history of humanity. I mean, we're talking about 800 or, I, the numbers vary, as you say, but hundreds of trillions of dollars worth of derivatives positions have been, in one way or another, manipulated because of this. And as you mentioned, for example... Uh, many mortgages in Europe are tied to the LIBOR rate. So so manipulations of this rate actually have huge knock-on effects that affect so many people that I, I think a lot of people probably don't even realize that they've been affected by this. I mean, in any other type of manipulation, scandal rate rigging, we would see the, uh, the possibility of legal recourse. But, I mean, what do you think is the possibility that this would end up in some sort of class action suit of every everyone who had a mortgage that was potentially involved in this or something uh, trying to uh, to sue for for reparations i mean clearly that's i i don't imagine that's really politically feasible i imagine there's going to be someone stepping in to to stop that from happening but what's your take i regrettably agree with you i i, I think that the, the complexity of trying to go back and trace uh you know which bank participated in the manipulation on one particular day the following day it was another bank because it wasn't taken into uh it wasn't taken into account uh you know they uh, then you have to look on the other side of it and who who has been uh damaged by this uh process well ob- obviously uh you're talking about millions and millions of of individuals because this is the 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 hardcore the central point of of the entire financial system so i could say on a particular day, my my LIBOR mortgage was more expensive or less expensive than than it should have been. But I I think the 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 dif- there will be a great deal of difficulty in actually starting the legal process. However, what it will do, to my mind, is to open up a Pandora's box of questions as to if LIBOR is rigged, what else can be rigged, and then you start looking at areas where I have a uh, a direct concern and interest, which are things like precious metals, where we, there has been talk for years and years and years about the golden uh, market being rigged, and also in particular the silver market, where the CFTC, the American Regulatory Organization, has been uh, investigating, in inverted commas, the, the alleged rigging of the silver market for, for the last three years. Uh, uh, Morgan in particular has been the accusation that's been leveled. And who's the head of the CFTC again? Uh, the head of uh, it is Gary Gensler, who, who used is, to work uh, for. Uh, would you believe Goldman Sachs? Just wow! Uh, imagine that. <laughs> yes, it's it's uh, well. This is it. I mean, all all of these things. What is happening at the moment? I think is the public are becoming much much more aware of how incestuous all these things are. 
and uh, how at the same time the potential for uh, corruption is um, extremely aggravated and there is no real oversight. I mean, if you want a fascinating story on that, you just need to look at the oversight uh, body fixing the, the, the LIBOR rates, to come back on that briefly for a moment. But um, the, the, the chairman of, of the British Bankers Association, would you believe, is uh, Lord uh, Aegis, who just happens to be also the chairman of uh, Barclays. Now, he has re- resigned from both positions recently and has been reinstated. Then you find that uh, Angela Knight, who I, I met a few weeks ago, in fact, she was in Geneva making a, a talk about the wonders of the British Banking Association, how, how well it, it functioned. She happens to be on the board of directors uh, and, would you believe, a member of the Audit and Remuneration Committee of people who are specifically the, the leaders in money market tra- trading companies in the U.K., I mean, the conflicts of interest and the incestuous relationships are horrifying. And, and then you take it a step further. Angela Knight is a former member of parliament in the UK parliament. You find that the other people who are heavily involved in making contributions to the conservative the equivalent of the Republican Party are the people who are running these exact same um, money trading, uh, currency trading companies. You know, you even have a situation exactly. which gets so, so ridiculous that um, one of the members of the investigatory inquiry who was quizzing Bob Diamond was actually quizzing one of his clients. <laughs> but this is the kind of thing which I think ultimately the, the, the general public will reach a point of um, not being willing to accept anymore. And the sooner that one happens, would certainly hope. But it may, I mean, how much worse can it possibly get? Especially, I mean, what we saw in in the wake of the 2008 crisis, and what we've uh, seen come out in the past few months, especially, is that uh, the 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 New York Federal Reserve Board consists of many of the banks, the heads of the banks that ended up receiving the uh, the bailout money. And, uh, and it was just uh, revealed recently there was a price put to that. Four trillion dollars of the emergency funds were diverted to the very banks of the very board members of the New York Federal Reserve who were deciding where to put the, uh, the emergency money. So, uh, again, it, it's hardwired into the system on every yeah. conceivable level. And, of course, they'll say, well, it just makes sense. Who else would you have on the board of the New York Federal Reserve? It would have to be you know, the heads of, of some of the major financial institutions. So, uh, so they'll just say that it's all, all part of uh, doing business. And uh, and maybe they're right. Maybe it is just one big financial uh, crony system, and uh, and I think that does speak to to or it should speak to the public who are looking at this system from the outside and realizing that it's all an insider game. Yeah, I, I think if it were a financial crony system, uh, I, in a way everybody could accept that so long as it worked in everybody's benefit. You know, I I have no particular problem. Well, if it was out in the open at the very least. First of all, it has to be out in the open, exactly. And and, and secondly, it has to be clear that, okay, I mean, the the people, the establishment who are running this or the people who are uh, involved in running the Fed, uh, although they are all buddies between themselves, which is absolutely fine, that happens in many businesses, it is demonstrably also in the interest of the, the, the general public for whom they're taking all of the major decisions. But the reality is blatantly the obvious, because every time anything happens, uh, it is uh, the poor, poor public who actually suffer and who are asked to pick up the, the tab, and it is these same people who, who never actually seem to be responsible for anything. And uh, the worst thing of all, and I think, I think the, the, 
the the root problem in all of this is, is the fact that the legal system no longer functions. There there is no longer a crime followed by a punishment. There's a, a crime followed by political cover-ups, followed by no punishment at all, followed by the continuation or even the exaggeration of the same crime crime on an even bigger scale. And and this is what has brought us to to our knees at the moment. And uh, I don't really see that changing until we have a situation where the people who are doing this are held accountable and are locked up. You know, I live in Switzerland, which is a pretty law-abiding country. Everyone here more or less sticks to the speed limit. If you go to Italy where the speed limit is the same, they drive 50% faster because they know at the end of the day there won't actually be a penalty. Mm -hmm. And it is exactly the same. I I can't completely blame the bankers. It's simply that they 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 have created they've maybe helped create an environment which is permissive, but they're doing nothing more than profiting from the fact that they, the politicians who are meant to keep things on the right tra- track and make the laws that function uh, are actually uh, now more in the pockets of, of the banks and the larger institutions and the big corporates than, than, than they are anything else. They get elected, and as soon as they've been elected, they go through a charade over a number of months to get themselves elected, and uh, after that, they pursue the interests of, of the big lobbyists and the big corporations and and the people who actually, you know, pay for their summer holidays in, in the Caribbean. And uh, that exactly is absolutely right. and, a and breakdown there's an ins- of... It's there's a breakdown an insidious of part versus- to all of that, because uh, here's a, a super trivial example, but coming from my daily experience here in Japan, but I think it speaks to the larger point that you're making, that, for example, here in Japan, there is there is a law, theoretically, that uh, that people shouldn't be riding their bicycle while wearing earphones. So, uh, But it's a law that is not enforced. I mean, I, I don't think I've, I can count on one hand the number of times I've ever seen a police officer stop someone for doing that, even when it's blatantly happening right in front of them. So it's uh, it's a law that's not enforced, so everybody does it. And then it becomes up to the to the police officer which which times and in what situations they want to enforce it. So if they want a reason to pull over a suspicious looking foreigner, for example, like myself, then then that's what they would they would be able to do. So in the exact same way, in that type of regulatory quote unquote framework, if we have these financial institutions that are getting away with all of this wanton manipulation and, and rate rigging and all of this uh, behind the scenes. Well, yes, they will continue to do that and to press that boundary. And uh, and then if they're sitting on the boards of uh, of the uh, the bodies that are supposedly setting and making and applying these rules, then they they can have the influence to, to basically rub out their con- competition when it suits them because their competition will be involved in that as well. So it's, yeah. uh, it's the most insidious form of uh, system imaginable. And unfortunately, it's one that we're just beginning to, uh, to become aware of. Yeah. yeah. I, I think, actually, if you look at the banks... Um, I had a very interesting comment from a general manager of, uh, of a fairly big bank recently who said to me, he says, you know, that our basic business model is not viable. If you, if you go back to what banking should be, which is providing financing to local businesses, providing loans for people to buy houses or cars or everything else, these are functions which are not hugely complex. It's a big machine. But um, it does not justify salaries like a Bob Diamond on $20 million a year. Now, if you look at the people who are, who are now running the banks, uh, which are a combination of the, the core banking business plus the investment banking business, you'll find that all of the people who are making the big, big, big money are on the investment side. I think in Barclays it was something like 250 people 
were, were making, uh, were accessing uh, a bonus pool of over a billion pounds a year, and of them, 200 were in, were in the investment banking side. Now, these people uh, are very ambitious, very ruthless, very competitive, and they're definitely, definitely not risk-averse. Why, why should they worry about being, you know, uh, about uh, taking risks when they know at the end of the day they're either going to get a huge bonus because they've pleased their bosses, uh, and if it all goes wrong, then, then the taxpayer pick, picks up the, the deficit. So at the end of the day, what you're looking at is maybe a couple of hundred people per major bank who have basically hijacked that particular bank to their own ends. And when you say to them, all right, well, if you take away all, all of these uh, investment banking activities, which are huge risks, and if we look at uh, J.P. Morgan recently with their London whale, as they, they, they call it, the, the, the losses on their positions there, you're talking about somewhere between uh, 3 and maybe $10 billion worth of losses made by supposedly one guy. Now, if you take that level of risk, uh, you know, it, it, it does not make any sense in, in, in an institution where the, the general public is liable. So the, this whole thing uh, about uh, investment banking being wonderful, it, it is not wonderful. It, it is, it is a, a disaster. And if you actually took that business out, none of these people would be able anymore to be picking up $20 million salaries. So they are not going to stop this exploitation. They are not going to stop this risk, uh, these high-risk activities. They are not going to be concerned about these losses because someone else picks them up. You have a flawed business model, and if you go back to basic banking, none of these people should be there, and none of them should be earning the salaries that, that they earn. So if you are the captain of that particular ship, you're going to keep on um, milking the cow and, until it dies. So these people are going to have ultimately to be forced out because they're not going to leave of their own free will. Well, that raises the, the inevitable question, then, what is the type of solution to this problem? Because even if the public had the understanding that was necessary to, to realize what's going on, and I'm not really convinced that they do, generally speaking, yet, and and if they had the, the political will to do something about it, it's still not at all clear to me how that would be actually affected, considering it is, as you say, something that uh, that pervades not just the institutions, but the, uh, the regulatory bodies, the political bodies, I mean, just every... Every layer of the system is invested in the system as it has been built up. And, uh, and I don't think that there's going to be a way out of this that won't mean that the collapse of, of this, uh, this sector of the economy that has become, because of the, the derivatives markets that they've been inflating up into the stratosphere over the past decade specifically, I mean, it's going to have a huge effect on the, the world economy generally. And uh, it's kind of the question, I mean, who wants to pull the gun that's, that's pointed to all of our heads? Well, I think the answer to that is fairly simple. If we, if we look back to the crash of the 1920s and the disaster in the, 19, in the early 1930s in America, there was a commission set up to investigate exactly what went wrong. And it was called the Pecora Commission, and the guy who ran it was a very courageous and very honest lawyer who actually laid on the line exactly what should not happen. And that he said that uh, investment banking uh, should, for example, be separated from retail banking, and he was the guy who eventually was the instigator of setting up the SEC, which was meant to be 
uh, fair and objective regulatory body. Now, basically what has happened since then is that, the, that all the lessons that have been learned, particularly in the U.S., as to what not to do, have been unlearned because bit by bit every single aspect of legislation which was recommended and applied after the PCORA Commission's report has been removed and cancelled. And needless to say, the SEC has been infested and infected by people whose interests are completely aligned with the banks and, and not with the general public. The same is true for the CFTC. And if you look at, if you look at the actual membership of all these organizations, yes, you can argue that uh, it is a complicated, uh, they're overseeing complicated things. But I, w I would much rather have someone who is independent uh, spending time to learn what he's overseeing and making decisions than someone who has a vested interest in pulling the wool over the general public's eyes and protecting the interests of the banks. And, and this is the core of the problem. And if, if the regulator is regulated and, and the judicial sub, uh, system actually applied the laws and, and made people accountable for their fraud and their, their malfeasance, then most of the problems would disappear. Do you think that the, the, the bankers and the people who are pulling off these manipulations and schemes are getting, are actually becoming more bold in their schemes, actually becoming more, more willing to rip off their own customers and do whatever it takes to make the quick buck? Or is that just the impression that, that comes out of this process? It's a difficult question. I, I think what is happening is it is becoming extremely visible to normal people, normal citizens who have an inquiring mind. Now, there's a great deal that's being done to make sure people don't have inquiring minds, but if you have your eyes open, they're doing all these things um, in, in plain sight. Very sad, but true. Yes, well, unfortunately, we have had our eyes wide shut for so long, but, uh, but they are starting to open. So uh, on that note, we'll come back to finish things up right after this break. Well, here we are in the final few minutes of tonight's broadcast of Corporate Report Radio. And once again, we've been talking to David L. Smith, the Geneva Business Insider. So just in the final few minutes here, uh, Mr. Smith, I think originally I was really planning on talking about the Eurozone crisis with you, but uh, it seems we've gone more into the the financial system and uh, the, the fraud that's underpinning it. And for good reason, I think, because it is an incredibly important topic. But hopefully we will be able to get you back on in the future to spend an hour talking specifically about the Eurozone, which I do want to get into in more depth. But uh, but just, I guess, finishing up or wrapping up our conversation from tonight, any other thoughts that you'd like to leave the listeners with about what uh, things like LIBORgate really indicate about the system we're living in? Well, I, I think, um, first of all, I'd like to say thank you for your invitation to come back. I'd be delighted. Um, secondly, on the... Libergate, I, I think what we're seeing, uh, at least the general public is seeing more and more and more, is the interlinking between the financial uh, world, the political world, the regulatory world, the media world, etc. Because when, when you, you look at the media, um, the discussion we've had tonight has been relatively an analytical, and I hope for everybody relatively clear, but when you look at the mass media, you're absolutely not getting clear information and you're getting more distraction than anything else. And you, it's almost like they're trying deliberately to put out so much chaff that you can't see what's going on. Uh, 
then what you see is the people who are well connected uh, having a, 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 an inordinate role in what actually goes on, like uh, big banks receiving four trillion in, in handouts. Um, when the people who are handing it out are on the boards of those banks, you can say the same thing with uh, Warren Buffett, who is also managing to cash in quite a large amount of money out of the TARP system. You can see General uh, Electric, which uh, uh, where Mr. Immelt is uh, omnipresent in being an advisor and beneficiary of um, Mr. Obama's largesse. You can see things like uh, MF Global, where uh, hundreds of millions of dollars go go missing, and for some strange reason, nobody can find it after it, it has disappeared. And the people who are actually involved are, do not seem to be subject to any kind of um, drastic measures to try and get them under control. You know, if, if you have uh, one extra bottle of beer <coughs> and you're drunk behind the wheel, you, you end up uh, certainly here in, in prison. Whereas, uh, you know, if you, if you look at people who apparently misappropriate amounts of money in the scale of hundreds and hundreds of millions, then, then there is no visual, visible sanction for it whatsoever. It is, uh, it is almost as though the whole thing is, is rigged from start to finish, which uh, is really very sad. And uh, again, coming back on the question we talked about earlier on rule, rule of law, you know, if, if you are... Let's say in Europe at the moment you you are investing and buying bonds in any particular country. You've no idea what kind of rules are going to made, be made up at the last minute to make you not a secured lender, but you know a subordinated lender to a government to or uh, the the eurozone itself, which are trying to protect their own interest uh, to your detriment. So the the whole thing I think is coming unwound. Uh, it is becoming extremely visible as it comes apart. And anyone with an inquiring mind can look at it, think about it, and, and say, this, this is not a sustainable situation, which I really, I, I, I can imagine, uh, for example, the Eurozone situation is something which is weeks, maybe months to survive in its present form. And again, when it all blows up, there would just have been a manifest lack of transparency on the part of uh, the politicians who should actually be telling us the truth. Hmm. Well, unfortunately, a, a very sober assessment, but unfortunately, I think a very fair one. But uh, but if there's anything positive to take out of this conversation, it's that you will be back on the program in the future because we are fresh out of time right now. So once again, I will direct people to your website, genevabusinessinsider.blogspot.com, where you can read uh, the insight and commentary from David L. Smith. So thank you for joining us on the program tonight. It's been a great pleasure. I'll get back to my beauty sleep and uh, <laughs> have a good day in Japan. Take care. Good night.